Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy Chinese New Year, everybody. I see that some people are still in Chinese New Year mood. A lot. I see a lot of red today. Usually, we don't see a lot of people wearing red. I actually wore a red baju, but it doesn't go with this blue. It might be too striking. Too striking. Then you all don't focus on the word. You all focus on me. Which cannot, right? Cannot. We need to focus on the word. So you can ask my wife. Yesterday, I was coming. Can I? Can I? Then she was like, oh, can la, anything you wear, so you're good looking. Man. <laughs> but then I thought, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. Ang ang bo hai lang. That's what, you know the Hokkien saying, ang ang bo hai lang. In Hokkien, is ang ang bo hai lang. Ang ang, you read, read, you don't, what's hai lang? You don't cause harm. You don't cause harm to people. But if I wear red, I might cause harm because I draw attention away from me. Correct or not? Okay. Anyway, happy Chinese New Year to everybody. Today is our eighth day of Chinese New Year. I love, I love Pastor Gilbert's message during Chinese New Year because it brought so much meaning. It brought so much significance. So much significance. I want to drop a few things about Chinese New Year that I, that I really love. Because uh, I did a whole research on this as well. And, and in Beijing, right? Is it Beijing? The, the temple... Where, you, where, there, where there is a sky god. It's so amazing because I've read so much about it. And there are no idols, no statues of a god there because they say no image can represent God in that place. That's no image. And we worship the sky god, the god of the heavens. I'm like, wow, doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah, hello, hello. It's in your face, you know, kind of thing. All right, so then I love, you know, a lot of times I grew up, I was like, the red cloth around your, around your door, right? Yeah, as, as you're growing up, you don't appreciate Chinese culture and you think, oh, yeah, these are all superstitious stuff. Then you listen like, whoa, this red cloth, huh? wow, maybe it's the, the blood of Christ. Huh? You know, the lamb, the blood of the lamb put upon your doorpost so that you can ward off the spirit of death. I'm like, hmm, but I didn't put the red cloth this year. Oh. So then I'll, I'll put next year. Okay, we take note, we put next year. All right. So anyway, happy Chinese New Year, everybody. Today is the eighth day. Tomorrow's going to be nine day. It's going to be the noisiest day of my life. I come from Penang, and Penang, on the ninth day, they, they, they go crazy with their fireworks. Insane. Until like 3, 4 a.m. It's, it's insane. It's crazy one. Cray, cray. All right, cray, cray. Anyway, this week, we are starting the book of Ruth. Pastor Chu started off in our first service, the book of Ruth. It was an awesome message. Please Listen to that message. Today, I'm going to go on a whole different angle, very different from Pastor Chu. So listen to Pastor Chu's message. He also did an overview, which was fantastic because it covers the whole of roof and we'll get a big picture of the idea of roof. But no, but before we start diving into the Word, I want to give a few interesting facts about the book of roof. The book of roof is one of the most studied books, not just in the Bible, not just in the religious setting, but also in a circular setting because it's so rich in literature. And there are so many metaphors, so many things. You can take it literally, you can take it metaphorically. It is taught in universities, it's taught in philosophy classes, in literature classes, in history classes. So the book of Ruth is an interesting book that we all should read. And it's one of the two books in the Bible that is named after a woman. There are only two books in the Bible that is named after a woman. Esther and Ruth. Esther and Ruth, too. And it is the only book in the Old Testament that is named after a non-Jew. Wow, now that should, 
grab our attention straight away. See, while the book of Esther talks about a Jewish woman, a Jew, in a Gentile community, the book of Ruth is about a Gentile woman in a Jewish community. Now, we are all Gentiles here, grafted into the family of God. So when we hear this, a Gentile woman in a Jewish community, now it should perk our ears right now. You know why? Because the book of Ruth is a book to the Gentile nations, us. And the book of Ruth calls out us as the bride of Christ. And that's why I'm my, the title of my message today is The Bridal Response. When we go through the book of Ruth, you'll understand that God is calling out a bride from the Gentile nations for Himself. And not just a simple, any Gentile nation. It's from the nation of Moab. And I'll explain that Moab was a terrible nation. Terrible, terrible nation. But God is calling out those that are hopeless, those that are forsaken, he is saying that I can reach anybody. And to the Gentile nation, I will reach you. And now I'm calling the Gentile nations. And it's important that we look into the book of Ruth because we are living in a very special time right now. We've seen things that are unprecedented. You know, wars of biblical proportion, pandemics of biblical proportion. We are living towards the near of what we call the end of the age. That's why we did a study on Revelation. It's to understand the times that we are living in. And in, the, in Revelation, it talks about God the Father preparing for His Son a bride, a bride of Christ. And who is the bride of Christ? We are the bride of Christ. So in this day of age, God is preparing us to be the bride of Christ. He's purifying us. He's cleansing us. He's transforming us. There is a reason why we are here, not just for salvation, but there is more. What are we unto? We are unto repentance. Why repentance? Because when we repent, we get rid of certain sins. We stop certain sins. We cut off certain ties and we draw closer to God. So what is salvation unto? What is repentance unto? It is unto the bride of Christ. Us transforming to be, to be pure, to be that bride that is worthy of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes back, He's coming back in Revelation as three things. He's coming back as king, as judge, as bride groom. Bridegroom. Why does Revelation talk about him coming back as the bridegroom? Because he's getting us ready to be his bride. Now you see, Esther, the book of Esther and the book of Ruth, gives us different perspective of the bride of Christ. Us. Esther talks about reigning and ruling with the king. While Ruth talks about, Ruth gives a picture of a bride that's coming out of a nation that is totally disregarded, that is cursed even. She is coming out from hopelessness, from being forsaken into something wonderful, something beautiful. She's moving from hopelessness into hope. And that is the message for us today, that in the midst of all hopelessness, there is hope. And all we have to do is respond to God and say, yes, God, 
I come to you. And that's why I've entitled my message, The Bridal Response. How are we to respond to God as the bride of Christ? Here in Ruth chapter 1, we will see three different responses. All right? We're going to see Naomi, we're going to see Orpah, we're going to see Ruth. And two of these three are images of the bride of Christ. Naomi and Ruth. And we're going to dive into them, all right? So before we do that, let's do a quick recap of how we got into the book of Ruth or how the Bible has brought us into the book of Ruth. You see, from the beginning, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. I always remember that. It's my, one of my memory verses when I was young. Okay, Genesis to Deuteronomy. It is the time where God was founding His people, His own people, crafting out His own people. It was the time of the patriarchs, right? It was the time where God, after founding His people, and they, they go here and there, wayward on that, then they were all in captivity, and He brought them out because they are their own people. It's the exodus from Egypt into, wanted to go into the promised land, but no, they went, they were disobedient, so they went into the wilderness. They went into the desert, right? And in the end of Deuteronomy, the people of God was at the brink of entering into the promised land. They were about to step in to the promised land. And then we get the book of Joshua. We know all this because we studied all of this last year, right? So all of you are experts in the book from Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, right? In the book of Joshua, Joshua now leads the charge into the promised land. And he gains victory after victory after victory. He was establishing the people of God in the land and they settled in the land. Then we have the book of Judges, which we just ended last year. And the best way to sum up the book of Judges is Judges chapter 21-25, which is the last, the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in the land. This was before the times of the kings. It was the time of the judges where God raised the judge up to take charge and to deliver the people of God. There was no king. There was no King Solomon, King Saul, King David, no kings, none whatsoever. And in this time, the people did what was right in their own eyes. And what does that mean? When you are doing what is right in your own eyes, you are benchmarking your own standard against your own standard. I can do whatever I want now. So what was this? What happened? We read in the book of Judges that as people did everything in their own eyes, they were rampant in sin. They were compromising. They were giving in to sin. So what happens? They went into the promised land, the land that God has given them, the, Lord, the, the land that God has blessed them. But now in the promised land, they're in sin. They're in disobedience. And then we know in the book of Judges, there was a cycle. They enjoyed God's blessing, the fruits of the land, you know, giant grapes here and there, olive oil. They enjoyed the land, the fertile land. They enjoyed God's blessing. They had victories after victories. But then they took the blessings of God for granted. They took the blesser for granted. And after that, they move into compromise. It was always like that. You enjoy the blessing, you forget who is giving the blessing. You forget the provider. And you think, hi, hey, I'm quite comfortable right now. I can depend on myself. So then they started to compromise just a little bit. And it always starts a little bit. And then it moved more and more and more. And sooner or later, they did what was right in their own eyes. They found themselves deep in sin. And when that happened, God needs to call them back. Because God was founding His people. God needs to call them back. So what does He do? He gives divine discipline. 
He gives judgment. Because he says, if you disobey me, I will put a curse unto you. I will judge you. But this judgment is not to punish you. I give this judgment so that you will turn back to me. Come back to God. See, I'm a new father to a four-month-old. So I haven't started disciplining my child yet. I don't know how am I going to do it. But we will always have to discipline our children, right? Because you're too young, right? Cannot yet. Like, hey, oh, he's, he's, he's saying, yeah, he's agreeing. He just went, oh, oh yeah. So yeah, but we, we, there will come a time where you have to discipline because you cannot always pamper. You cannot always give everything, right? There will come a point of time where he misbehaves. And now, what am I going to do? I will have to discipline him because I am his guardian. I'm his parent. I need to align him back. Hey, this is not right. So yeah, I don't know how I can do it yet, but God does it to us. And the idea of disciplining is to bring us back to Him, bring us back to what is good, bring us back to righteousness. So yeah, there's the blessing, you compromise, and then the judgment. So I call it the blessing, the compromise, the judgment. And after the judgment, then the people of God all realize, oh my gosh, we need to go back to God. It's God, we've forgotten God. So they, goes back, they go back to God, they repent. And when they repent, they cry out to God. And when they cry to God, God listens and He hears. That's what a good father does. Every time he cries at 5 a.m. now, we wake up. That's what a good father and mother does. We don't, don't let him cry yet. <laughs> Sleep training will start soon, right? Okay, okay, so yes, yet. Okay, so we go out and when you cry, when they cry, God responds. And in the book of Judges, He responds by raising up a judge to deliver them from the situation they were in. So that's the blessing, uh, that's the compromise, that's the judgment, that's the repentance. And then the last one, there is the deliverance. And that's the cycle. The cycle goes all over again, all over again. Then we get to the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is stated in Ruth 1 verse 1. It, says, it states, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges rule. So it is actually a highlight of a story. God is taking a microscope and looking down into one particular story in the time of Judges, in the time where the cycle is happening. Keep that cycle in your mind, okay? That time, God is going through one particular one over there. So, I'm going to share about Ruth right now, and I'm going to we go back, uh, no need the slide yet. I'm going to break up the message, the book of Ruth chapter 1, into three parts. The first part, it's the chastening. Is it called chastening or chastening? 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 Chastening. Sorry, chastening. It's the chastening, all right, where God's judgment and divine discipline comes. Number two, because we're going to see that in the beginning part of Ruth. Then number two, I'm going to introduce the characters because we're going to set the background and we're going to introduce the characters, all right? There are a few characters here, but the three main characters that we're going to look into is Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. All right, keep that in mind. And number three, we're going to go into the convictions. Because of that conviction, out of that conviction, they respond. And we're going to see the way they respond. Alright, so we're going to go right now into the Word of God. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 5. You can put it up now. Can we all read this together? Let's start this service with the reading of God, God's Word, alright? I'm going to count to three, yeah? One, two, three, read three. One, two, three. 
Now it came to pass in the days where the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived the two sons and her husband. You see, the book of Ruth begins with Elimelech and Naomi moving out of the promised land into the country of Moab. Why? Because there was a famine in the land. Now remember, it was the time of judges, right? Which also means that the people of God was in sin and was in disobedience. So what does, what does this mean? Why the famine? The famine was actually God's judgment upon the people of the land. They were disobedient and they were in sin. And we can find this in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15 and verse 24. I'll read for you. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I commanded you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. In verse 24, the Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven, it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. You see, it is one of the judgments for being disobedient. He will change the rain of the land to dust. And when there's dust, there's drought. And when there's drought, there is no grain. When there's no grain, there's no wheat, there's no barley, there's no bread. And it's interesting because this is, the, this is Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, Judah, Bethlehem is, is also known as the house of bread. There is no bread in the house of bread. Wow. God is withholding so that they can turn back to Him and cry to Him, God, give us bread. Give us bread in this dry and weary land. And you see, God gave bread soon. So instead of staying in the promised land, listening and repenting, going back to God, God, help us. Elimelech decided to take things into his own hands. He said, he probably said, hey, you know, there's going to be a famine in the land. I've got a bit of money here and there. I want to preserve the money. I want to preserve my family. I'm going to take my family. Hey, let's move. It's okay to move, okay? I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. It's okay to migrate if God told you to migrate, okay? It's okay. If not, you are born in the land for a purpose. You are born in the land for a destiny. God has a purpose for you. So if God says move, okay. Listen to God. If God didn't say anything, please don't move. And you will see a limelight over here. He decided to move and he moved into Moab. Of all places, why Moab? Why Moab? You know, Moab is a, the Moabites or Moab, the country of Moab, is a long-term enemy of Israel and of God. There was even a special provision, a special law that says in Deuteronomy 23 verse 3, it says, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Imagine that. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. 
shall not enter, then he said, 10 generations, now he said, forever. There was a special provision for the Moabites. And not just that. In Psalm 68, he said, Moab is my wash basin. In those days, wash basin, what? We wash your feet. You wash, you wash your feet before you enter. It's all the dirt and all the filth. Moab is the wash basin, the filth, the lowliest, the worst of all. Why was there this provision? Why were they cursed in such a way? It's because Moab, as a country, turned away the Israelites when they first left Egypt. And not just that, they decided, we're going to curse the Israelites. So they got Balaam to come. But Balaam couldn't curse. All he could do was bless because they're God's people. Right? And then the Moabite also seduced, the Moabite woman also seduced Israelite men into sexual immorality and idolatry. And because of that, 24,000 people were struck dead. When you touch the people of God and you cause the death of the people of God, you better watch out. You better watch out. And that's why God put a special provision to curse the land of Moab. See, Moab is a terrible place. It speaks of a place of compromise where sexual immorality is rampant, where paganistic worship is allowed. The worship of Yahweh is probably non-existent, but the worship of other gods are all there. It's a place devoid of God and where people can just let loose and run. So Elimelech and Naomi, when they moved themselves and their family to Moab, why Moab? Why? See, in my opinion, it was not just to escape a famine. But you know the rule where the physical manifests what's happening in the spiritual, right? I believe it was a physical representation or a physical manifestation of what's happening to them spiritually. He moved from the promised land, from the land of blessing, just because of the judgment of God, he moved into a place of compromise. Why? In, in Ruth, verse 21, Naomi said, she went out of Israel full. This shows that they, are, they, they had some sort of wealth. It might not be so rich, they had land. You know they had land in the book of Ruth. But it might not be so rich, but they had wealth. And, and they probably wanted to preserve that wealth. You know, when there is famine in the land, there is drought, and there's drought, no grain, no wheat, cannot do bread, right? No food. And when there is scarcity of food, we know in economics, the supply of law, uh, supply, the, the law of supply and demand. When supply is low, demand remains, what happens? Price increase. So your bread that costs five shekels now costs 10 shekels. We know. We know this. We are experiencing a bit of it right now. Inflation. Where our chap fund from 7 ringgit become 13 ringgit. And I was telling the second service, if you add sotong, it becomes 20 ringgit. 20 ringgit. If you order by grab, your sotong is not just 13 to 7. It's not 7. It's at 13 ringgit some more. It becomes 22, 26, 20, 22, 23 ringgit. Trust me, we just, we just ordered sotong recently. So we know the price. Sotong. Don't be sotong, we. Yeah, okay? Don't be sotong. You see, in my opinion, Elimelech want, wanting to be self-reliant. Remember, judges, they were in a place of compromise. So him, being one of the Israelites, the people of God, also in compromise, not relying on God, wanted to be self-reliant. 
and say, I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to provide for my family. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take things into my own hands because it's a famine in land. Out of self-preservation, I'm going to move to a different place. I'm going to move where there is no famine, where a bread that costs five shekels will remain at five shekels. The only thing is, there is no God. But it's fine because I'm already in compromise. So when I move to a place of compromise, hey, I might adapt actually. I might adapt. But you see, when God's divine judgment and divine discipline is upon His people and upon the land, it doesn't matter where you run, it doesn't matter where you go, God will come and get you in a good way, in a good way. He's coming to get you because He wants to be with you. He wants to draw you back. So we see in verse 3, Elimelech dies. And then you see in verse 4 and 5, his sons, Malon and Kilion, also dies. What is happening here? God's divine discipline that was on his people and on the promised land was also on Elimelech's family. They thought they could run. They thought they could take things into their own hands. But there is no running from God's chastening because God will find you. You know why? It is not God's judgment that is, is chasing you. It is His goodness that is chasing you. It is His goodness because He wants to draw you back. All these things that's happening is because He wants to draw them back unto Him. He's jealous for your heart. And when He cannot get hold of your heart, cannot get your attention, sometimes certain certain drastic measures will happen. But that being said, not every time someone dies is an act of divine discipline, just to let you know. Okay, not everything negative, not everything that you're going through is God divine, God's divine discipline upon your life. Alright? Sometimes, it's just because we are outright rebellion and disobedient. And it's our own doing that causes us to be in, in this. Alright, it causes us to be in relationship that's gone crazy, causes us to be in financial uh, debt because we made certain bad choices. Alright? So sometimes, sometimes it could be us. Sometimes it could be the enemy trying to attack us. Sometimes it could be. So we have to discern and ask God, which is it? But if you are outright rebelling and being disobedient to God, now, if you know your outright rebellion and disobedience to God, you should probably think that, hey, maybe it's God trying to get my attention. I think I got some people's attention here right now. You might be in a compromising in certain ways here and there, and then certain things are coming your way and you felt, hey, 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 is it because I did something? Is it because maybe it could be God trying to get your attention? All right? So you see, let's go back to Ruth. Tragedy strikes in verse 3. And Elimelech dies. The family, the remaining family, did not get it. They did not see there was God trying to get their attention. They did not repent and return to the promised land, return to God. No. After some time, they broke another commandment. Their sons married foreign wives. Now, there is a rule also that you should not marry foreign, foreign wives. But they did. And you see, 10 years later, the two sons died. In 10 years, in the span of 10 years, there were no children as well. See, barrenness is also a curse from God. 
But it's God telling you, come, find me, seek me, and I will make you fruitful. See, everything that we go through, regardless, is God trying to get our attention to bring us back to Him. You see, the reason why we know it's God's divine discipline, but you can find it in Ruth chapter 1, verse 21. Naomi makes it very, very clear. She says that the Lord Himself was afflicting them. So it was divine affliction from the Lord. It was the Lord Himself. Say in 21, The Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So we know it came from the Lord. So we see in verse 1 to verse 5, God's chastening, 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 or or discipline, or divine discipline, which is meant, it is meant to turn us back to Him. It is not meant to turn us away from Him and run away. So when we face trials and tribulation, which could be from God or from our own doing or from the enemy, regardless, there is only one response. Turn back to God because that is God's intention. And if we put our faith, our trust, and our obedience in God, you're not just turning back to Him, God will turn things around and He will take whatever's bad and whatever's evil. He will redeem it and He will give you a future, a good future to prosper you and not to harm you. So that's the background of the story, the chastening, all right? Now we go to part two, the characters. We will highlight the characters. You've already been introduced to Elimelech, husband to Naomi, moved the entire family from the promised land to compromise, land of compromise, died very early on, introduced in verse one, died verse two, all right? Marlon and Kilion, introduced in verse two, died verse four, verse five, all right? Son of Elimelech and Naomi, compromised further by marrying foreign wives. Very fast, right? Verse 1, hi. Verse 2, die. Verse 1, hi. <laughs> die. This is Game of Thrones. This is Game of Thrones in the Bible. Don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> then we're introduced to three main characters. Right? We'll highlight two out of the three. There is Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, mother-in-law to Ruth and Orpah. She is an image of the bride of Christ, the church that is actually going through judgment, that is in compromise and going through the discipline of God, that God is trying to draw her back, right? She knows that God is sovereign. She knows that God is the Almighty. There are certain words that say, Yahweh. She says, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Almighty, Elohim. She knows God by His different names and different personalities, but she still decided to move away from the promised land, the land that God has ordained for them. Together with the husband, she ran away only to find God's chastening and judgment and divine discipline is upon them. Right? That is Naomi. Then there is Orpah and there's Ruth. These two are Moabite women. Remember I told you about the Moabites, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible nation. And then remember, Moabite women seduced the Israelite men. So there's a perception, Moabite women. Oh my gosh. These are Moabite women. All right? they are, because they were grafted, they were married to the sons of Elimelech and Naomi. Now they've been grafted into the Jewish family. Hence now daughter-in-law to Naomi. All right? And because they were grafted into this Jewish family, and because they are family, they also faced the same judgment. They lost their husband. 
They had no kids. And not just that, now Naomi says, I want to go back to the promised land. And when you are a Moabite woman going into Israel, and after the atrocities that your country has done, oh boy, and the country has not even apologized or said anything, oh boy, the judgment that you will get from the people. Wow. And they're faced with a choice. See, Orpah decided not to go, but Ruth decided to go. See, Ruth over here, we're going to highlight Ruth. She is an image of the bride of Christ. While Naomi was the image of the bride of Christ from the Jewish people, being disobedient, you know, the Jewish people, disobedient to God, running away, this and that, right? Even in this current state, they're not, they're not saying that, God, Jesus, you are the Messiah. They're running away. But one day, they'll be drawn to God. Ruth is an image of the Gentile bride, us, being grafted into the family. But then, when you're grafted into the family, God said, in this world, you have trials and tribulation. In this world, you have trouble. But there's a second provision. Take heart, for I have overcome it. Take heart. See, Ruth, she was entering into that trouble, more trouble. What was the decision? The Gentile nation entering, grafted into the family, entering into trouble, she decided she will continue on. And that was her choice. Listen to the overview in Pastor Chiu, the power of choice. And you have that choice. So that, these are the characters, the five characters, three of them are main characters. Now we'll move into the convictions. We will go through these characters one by one and we will see what forms them, what makes them and what are their convictions that ultimately results in a response to God. All right, let's read together Ruth 1 to 16 and then 19 to 21. We can read big chunks of Scripture, right? Because we are SIBKL. Right? Amen. And we're going to be reading a lot more. This year, we've got Bible plans coming up so we can start over here. This is sub-sub water. All right? Okay. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Can we read this together? 1, 2, 3. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. Okay, wait, wait. Stop here for a while. Okay. She arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return to the country of Moab. For she heard, she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. She heard in a place of compromise, in the land of compromise, she heard the voice of God. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. She heard. Wow. And then she arose. There is a stirring in her. Something awoken in her. And she rose up. And she said, I will go back to my land. I will go back to my God. And not just that, you see this. Moab, the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. The house of bread, Bethlehem, where bread was withheld. Now, God is giving them bread again. God is giving them revelation, fresh revelation once again. And she got a hold of that revelation that God is providing. God is my provider. And then she arose. So that's powerful. Verse 7, therefore she went out from the place. She stepped out from the place where she was. And the two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return the land of Judah. 
She stepped out. When she heard that revelation, she arose. She decided, I will return to God. What is that? That is repentance. I am coming back to God. I have heard His call. I have heard His voice. Now I will take a step. I will rise up from that place where I'm in, the compromise that I'm in, the sin that I'm in, and I'm walking back to God. I'm coming back to God. She returns to the land. Verse 8, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9, let's read together. One, two, three. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 19 now. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. This is Naomi and Ruth really. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitter, very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So you see, it's interesting to see. Naomi, a Jew that ran away from the judgment of God, could not see the judgment of God, that the judgment of God is good. It's meant to draw her back. Right? So that's, that's the current state of the Jews today. That's why. It is a prophetic book that speaks of our current state. Our friends in the promised land, they're all still far away from God. But you know what? God is beckoning them to come back. And in Revelations, we know that one day, they will be drawn back to God once again. They will be called back to God and they will return to their first love. But first, the Gentile nations will come to God. It is the Gentile nations that will then provoke our friends to love God. It will provoke our friends to jealousy and then their hardened hearts will be broken shattered, and now they will come to know their God. So you see, it's a prophetic book. That's why we need to read this book. That's why we need to dive into this book. Naomi also represents a type of church that is in compromise, going through the judgments of God. She knows God. She knows God. I, I mentioned you. mentioned to you. She mentioned Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, Almighty, everything. But then she still runs away and going through a judgment. She allows her son to compromise even more which sounds very much like a certain church in Revelation 3. The church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church. The lukewarm church. The lukewarm church knows of God, but it's like oh, wishy-washy. And that was Naomi. Let me draw similarities. Lukewarm church, wishy-washy. Naomi knew God, also a bit wishy-washy, but she knows God, but still runs away. Right? Verse 21, she said, I went out fool. I went out fool. 
but the Lord has brought me again empty. When she said, I went out full, that shows what? She had wealth and she said, I went out full. In Revelation 3, 17, it says, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. See the similarities? I'm rich. She said, I went out full. I'm rich. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Which was probably her spiritual state when living the promised land. Because there was compromise and continued to compromise even further. And then in Revelation 13, uh, 3, 19 to 20, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. See the same thing. I love you. That's why I rebuke you. I, that's, I love you. I, that's why I rebuke you because I want you to come back to me. So be zealous. Repent. Come back to me. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is God knocking. I'm calling unto you. I'm calling you. You know, all the things that's happening, it's me. It's me calling to you. Come back to me. If anyone hears my voice, and then Naomi heard in the place of compromise, in the land of Moab, she heard and she arose. If anyone of you hears my voice and opens the door, she arose and she opened the door. I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. She arose because she heard the knocking on the door and she went to open the door. See, when God knocks on that door, when that door is closed, he knocks. He's trying to get your attention. That's why God's judgment, God's divine discipline is there. But when he knocks, it is not just the knock of discipline. It is not just the knock of judgment. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. It, will give her a, it is also a revelation. When God steps in, I will come in. It's a revelation of who God is. So when Naomi heard that God provided in the place of where God provided for His people by the giving of bread, there is a revelation of God coming in because Jesus will come and He is the bread of life coming into Bethlehem. Look at that, see that, a revelation. God comes with a revelation. He was bringing back bread into the house of bread in Bethlehem. And see, she arose, she went. She went out from her place to open that door. Amazing, right? Amazing. You see Naomi running away from God and you see that transformation, coming to God, repenting to God. And it was genuine. It was gen a genuine return to God. And because she knows it's a genuine return to God, she's saying, come what may, I will return to God. I will not continue in this land of compromise. I will return to the land my God gave me. It is a continuation. He, she continues, she repents. I will, not, I will not be in a place where the worship of paganistic gods, the paganistic worship is happening. No, I will return to the land where the worship of Yahweh happens and I will worship Him. It's a genuine repentance. And we see this, why? Because when you repent, there is an overflow of love an overflow of God in that person. We see in verse 8 to 14, Naomi knew she was going back to the promised land, which also meant going back to the judgment of God, facing whatever that she needs to face. And it's not just the judgment of God, but also the judgment of man. You see, in those days, being married is very important. 
it is part of their social, social, what's that word? I can't think of that word. Construct, yeah, social construct. It is very important to get married. When you are married, you are not just getting a husband, all right? You're not just getting a, a father to your kids. You are getting a provider. You are getting security. You are getting protection. See, and that's the image that God wants to give. That's the image that God wants to give. God is our provider. He's our protection. He's our security. When Naomi stepped out of that, she lost that. But now God is calling her back in to that marriage. Calling him back in to that covenant. So when she goes back, in, the, in, in those days, if you don't have a husband, it is, you are a vulnerable person. You might be taken advantage of. And you are look lowly. In the status, in the hierarchy, you are down below. So when you lose a husband, you lose all that in those times. But she is returning to God because she knows one thing, that Yahweh, that Jehovah, Elohim, Almighty, He is a good God. He is a merciful God. He took her people out of captivity from the Egyptians into the promised land, gave them victory, gave them deliverance after deliverance. She's seen the faithfulness of God. So she's, she's probably saying, yes, I will face judgment, but I know my God is enough for me. As we sang, Christ is enough for me. And that is true repentance. And because of true repentance, she overflows with it. And when, that's why when she knows she's going back to judgment, she tells the daughters-in-law, hey, my daughters. See, use the word my daughters. It's not just my daughter-in-law. She's accepted them into the family. She's loved them as her own really. My daughters, you know, go back to where you came from. She just didn't say that because she knows she's going to face the judgment, but she blessed them. May the Lord bless you. May you find husbands. May you find husbands. She blesses them. It was a genuine blessing. And not, you know, a lot of us, when we cut ties, and we move away, we, we don't end well. This is an example of ending well. When we go our separate ways, bless someone. Bless that person. A lot of us who oh, lose job, you tell your boss, huh, I never wanted to work with you anyway. <laughs> chill, 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 okay? Bless your boss. Have a good separation. And you see, why is it so genuine here? Because it says in the Bible over here, they raised their voices and they wept. Together, they mourn. There was such a deep relationship between all of them. It was so genuine. So she released them and she blessed them. She wasn't getting rid of them for her own sake. Okay? You're probably thinking, oh, I'm, I'm Naomi. I'm going into the promised land. I'm going to face the judgment of God and the judgment of man. I'm probably going to be a bit homeless. I have no money. I've, my land is gone. My money is gone. Now I got two more white women. Oh my gosh, more bite women some more. I got two mouths to feed. No, she wasn't thinking that. If she, if she thought that, she would probably weep in happiness. But they wept mournfully over here. She genuinely cared for them. So you see the sequence of events. Naomi and Elimelech. Naomi and Elimelech. Compromise, right? They enjoy the blessing of God. Blessing. They then compromise and move into sin. Compromise. Then they face the judgment of God. Judgment. 
Ho, ho. And then Naomi, she heard the voice of God and she arose and she goes back to open that door. She goes back to the promise and what's that? Repentance. Hey, that sounds familiar. Remember I told you, keep the cycle in your head. It's the same cycle of judges all over again. It's the blessing, it's the compromise, it's the judgment, it's the repentance and then there will be deliverance. I'm not going to cover the deliverance part in chapter 1. So you need to come back for chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, because we will cover that in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. So come back, okay? Because that's the good part. This is also good, but that's also very good. Okay, now let's move on to Orpah. Everything's good, right? <laughs> the Word of God is good. Let's move to Orpah and Ruth now. Beginning with Orpah. Ruth, chapter 1, 14 to 15. Let's read together. One, two, three. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. See, wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her and she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Return after your sister-in-law. Sorry, just going back. Naomi's response to God's chastening was to repent and to return. And when we look at Ruth and Orpah, let's move into Orpah. Orpah, being a Moabite woman, grafted into the Jewish family through marriage, now facing judgment and more impending judgment. Well, it's a response. She decided that she will abandon the family. See, she's grafted into the family already. Huh? She's in that family, you know. Now she abandoned the family. And not just that. See, your sister-in-law is living to her people and to her gods. That's what we call an apostate commit an apostasy, to leave the faith, to leave the belief. So she abandoned and she apostate. Alright, I can't find a better word. I don't know how to use to apostate. Abandon and to apostate. Yeah. Okay, abandon and apostate. It rings nicer in your head. Alright? See, God's judgment was facing her. And she decided, Orpah decided, I'm going to leave. When the going gets tough, Orpah runs away. The tough gets going. Yeah. She didn't get going, no. She ran away. She removed herself from the family and went back to her gods. See, Pastor Chu mentioned in, yesterday that he's, he, he's really sad. He grieves when a church member leaves the church and more so when he leaves the faith. And it's the same for me. You know, I grew up in a church. I grew up in a church and I have many friends, childhood friends from the church. It's very sad when I see them leave the church not just leave the church, leave the faith. I can share with you a story. I have a friend serving in God, serving full on. He's a leader. He's a worship leader. He's everything. People look up to him. But then one day, he faced a certain financial crisis because of his own doing. And from one financial crisis led to another financial crisis. And after that, he faced relationship issues with his wife. And one thing led to another thing. And he did not turn back to God. Remember, in all things that God, in all things that comes, turn back to God. He can turn things all around, but he decided, no, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And because of that, he started, he started to slowly shy away from church because he was afraid of the judgment of men. He was afraid of the judgment of men. He slowly shied away from church. And sooner or later now, Recently, just a couple of, one, two years ago, he came and told me, Aaron, I'm no longer in the faith. I'm no longer in the faith. 
it saddens, it saddens me, it hurts me. It's my friend. It's my childhood friend. I worship it together with him. I led youth groups together with him. I grew up together with him. We used to say we will go all out for God. But now, it's not just left the faith. He lost everything. He lost his family. And, and he's still not returning to God. He is doing an orpah over here, abandoning the family, abandoning the faith. Don't abandon the family. Don't abandon the family. The family in today's context is the church of God. Don't abandon the church of God. Yes, we may be imperfect because we are all imperfect people. We are still human. We are not the bride of Christ yet in purity and, and, and everything. No, not yet. We are imperfect. But don't abandon us. Don't abandon the family. If you are displeased, you can find another family, but don't abandon the family altogether. Don't abandon the faith. Don't turn your back to God. See, Orpah's response to God's chastening, to God's judgment and divine discipline was to abandon and to be an apostate. And what happens after that? There was no mention of Orpah ever again, ever again. Gone. No more. But now we come to Ruth. So we've done Naomi, we've done Orpah, and now we come to Ruth. You see, Ruth was totally different. She clung on to Naomi. She did not abandon Naomi, but she clung on. She held on even tighter. The word clung here is the same word where in, in, in the verse where they say the marriage, a, a man should leave the, the, the father and mother and cling on to the wife. Same cling, you know, cling. That means cannot separate. And then Ruth said in verse 16 to 17, which is one of the most important moments in the book of Ruth, the turning point and it might be the turning point in all history as well. Let's read this together. One, two, three. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. See, Ruth did the total opposite of Orpah. Instead of leaving, instead of abandoning, she clung on. Instead of being an apostate, she committed and she covenanted further, further with God, committed further. And you see in these words over here, the words are powerful. Powerful, powerful. Where you go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Where you die, I die. Your God will be my God. Sister, towards the end, if anything but death parts you and me, what is that? To death do us part. To death do us part. You see, Ruth over here is an image of the Gentile church coming into relationship with God and how we should respond to God because we are a Gentile nation. Yes, we are not God's chosen people yet, but we are being grafted in. And when there's trials and tribulation, see, Ruth's response is to commit to God. And not just that, she gave a wedding vow to God. To death do us part. And that is the bridal response that we 
need to respond. Because Jesus is coming back and He's coming back as a bridegroom king. And our response should be a covenant of love, a covenant of marriage to death do us part. The Lord do so to me. What does this mean? Total abandonment. You have me, Lord. You have all of me. You have all of me. You see, why? Why did Ruth do this? Why? She saw the impending judgment. She was in the judgment. Then there's judgment coming in the promised land. Judgment of God. But she must have heard the exploits of God from Ruth, from the people. She must have heard her ancestors talking, you know, we tried to curse Israel, but the God of Israel was so great that instead of cursing, we had to bless. We tried to, to lead them into sexual immorality, but He struck down people and He cursed us. She heard about God and how great God is, how wonderful God is, that clings on to His people, that holds His people, that cares for His people. And that is what God is trying to tell us. He cares for us. He's coming for us. He's asking us, sons, daughters, my bride, return to me, repent, commit to me and covenant with me. So, Ruth, when faced with the chastening, chastening of God, the discipline, the divine discipline, a judgment, she committed and she covenanted herself to God, saying, come what may, because Christ is enough for me. And that should be our response, come what may, because Christ is enough for me, I am totally abandoning myself to you because I trust you. I have faith in you. And I know that God will turn all things, Jesus will turn all things bad, all things evil. You see, when Abraham took Isaac into the mountain, he took Isaac into the mountain, what was he doing? He was taking his only son, his son, the promised son, into the mountain to be sacrificed. He was saying, God, I trust you. I'm there in total abandonment, but I know, I know you will provide. If he dies, you will raise him up because you've promised. You've promised there is a promise and God says there is a promise for all of us. There is a promise for all of us. God will provide. He will protect. He's our security. So God is calling forth through the book of Ruth, calling forth a bride from the Gentile nation, us, us, we are that Gentile nation. For us, He's calling us to commit, to covenant with Him, that we will walk into the unknown with Him, to trust in total abandonment and say, Lord, do so unto me. And when we say that, we know God's plans are always to prosper you and not to harm you. What was her reward for saying, yes, I'm committing to God, I'm covenanting. What was the reward? She was not only grafted into a Jewish family, she was now grafted into the Jewish family. As we continue on the weeks, we hear the story of Ruth, how she meets Boaz. She marries Boaz, have a child named Obed. Obed now is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. King David. King David, 
And we know from King David, from the lineage of King David came Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This Gentile woman, Gentile Moabite woman from Moab, remember a nation that was cursed by God, was brought into the incredible narrative, into the incredible storyline of Jesus Christ. Now, won't we get caught up in that same story? Will we get caught up in the narrative of Jesus Christ where when He comes back, He comes back for a bride, pure, sanctified, ready for Him. Won't we get caught up in that narrative? All we have to do is say, yes, I commit to God. I commit to God and I covenant with Him. See, Orpah was no longer mentioned again. Sits nothing. But Ruth, after the book of Ruth, she was then mentioned again in Matthew 1, in the genealogy of Jesus. She was immortalized in the genealogy of Jesus. She was put there. Wow. She got caught up in the story. So let's recap right now. The convictions or the response that we should have when faced with God's chastening and God's judgment. We are to be like Naomi. If we are going through trials and tribulation, if there's something that's going on in our life, remember, we always need to turn back to God. Repent and return. And in our response, like Ruth, we are to commit to God and covenant with Him. Now you've heard these responses and how we should respond. Now some of us here, we might be going trials and tribulation. It could be a financial crisis. It could be relationship. It could be family. It could be health issues. It could be God's discipline upon you or it could be your own doing, or it could be the enemy. Regardless, what will, rest, what will your response be? What will your response be? Just like the church in Laodicea, we said, Revelation 3 to, to, to Naomi, God is knocking on the door. And today, He is knocking on your door. He's saying, those I love, I rebuke. Those I love, I rebuke. He's calling on to us. Now, we have a bit of time. I want to share my testimony a, a little bit. You know, when I was young, I graduated and I started working. I'm from Penang. So I started working in Penang. And the time when I graduated, it was in the midst of the subprime mortgage market. It was in the midst of a recession. All right? all the companies froze hiring people. And then graduating from accounting and finance with accounting and finance degree, naturally I wanted to be in a big four accounting firm. I wanted to be in a bank. I wanted to do all things, right? But then there was no hiring. Froze. So there was nothing I could do. So I prayed. I waited on God. And out of the blue, a window opened. This accounting firm, a big four, took in only three people. Only three. Every year, they will usually take 20 to 30 one in Penang, okay? In KL, more lah. In, 
Penang smaller a bit, right? But they took in only three. And out of these three, uh, two of them were like Big Boss son. Okay? Uh, probably they want to take them in to get business, I think. You know? Me, uh, sorry, uh, not Big Boss son. I was a nobody. I don't know, I had no connections, nothing. But they took me in, out of the tree, wow. God's hand and His favour was upon my life and it was very, very clear. I progressed very fast in my career. I did well. Then in two years, I was there. I decided, I'm doing quite good. I'm enjoying God's blessing. But I want to do better. So I decided to take things into my own hands. Where do you go to get better? Singapore. It actually got better in Malaysia, okay? So, but I decided back then, wow, if I am earning, time is about, back then, uh, very long ago, like one and a half decades ago, it was about 4K. If I go to Singapore, I earn 4K, sing. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> My God, at that time, the conversion was 2.4. Wow. I'll be earning, I'll be earning a five-figure income already. So I put a transfer in. I got transferred into a, a big four in Singapore. But I knew for a very fact, I was stepping out of the will of God. There were many signs. There were many, many signs that God wanted me to be in Malaysia. But no, I wanted money. So I moved out. I moved to Singapore where yes, I got money. I got money. Financially was good. But I moved out from the will of God. When you move out from the will of God, the chances of you compromising gets higher because you are away from the presence of God. And when I was in Singapore, I was so focused on money that little by little, I started to compromise. Little by little, I started to deviate from church. I started to shy away from church because I knew my heart wasn't right. I knew if I go to church, well, that was my perception that I might be judged. I ran away from cell. I ran away even from the people of God and I started mixing with the wrong crowd. So then we go, dus, 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 dus. yeah, like a lot of drinking, a lot of clubbing and all that. All, all. I backslided. I mixed with the wrong people. I compromised. I moved into compromise. And not just that, I moved into sin as well. But you know what? Throughout the four or five years in Singapore, God did not give up on me. Through the four or five years, He was knocking on the door of my heart. Say, Aaron, come back. Come back to me. Come back. Every year, every time, although I was in compromise, although I was in sin, although my heart wasn't right, I felt God telling me, come back. Come back. Come back. It got louder and louder. And the fourth, the fifth year, I heard it very clearly. God said, Aaron, you need to come back to me and you need to come back to Malaysia. Why? Because your prophetic destiny is in Malaysia for this particular season. And when you get out from Malaysia, you're running away from the will. You're running away from my will, from your prophetic destiny. You need to come back into your prophetic destiny. You need to come back to Malaysia and come back to me. And I heard God knock, whoever hears. I heard Him loud and clear. And I went to Him and I said, God, I repented. I repented. I've been chasing. I've been chasing money. I've been chasing mammon all this, all this life, all my life in Singapore. I said, I want, I want you. I want you. I don't care now. I don't care. I'll go back to Malaysia. 
I don't care about the job. I'll just go and I'll take whatever job. As long as I am right with you. But you know what? When I said that, in one week of saying that, I, I call up a church leader and say, I'm coming back to Malaysia. My church leader said, send me your resume. I sent him my resume. And within a week of sending him my resume, I got calls. I got calls. And one of the calls was a big company here in Malaysia, a big MNC. They called me and within the following week, they flew me into KL for an interview. Flew me in, you know, pay everything, pay hotel, everything. Like, wow, good way. Do I get expert package? I know, you know. <laughs> but he flew me in. And on that very day, that very same day, before I flew out, they called me, Aaron, we want to offer you a job. We want to offer you a job. Here's the remuneration package. See, I was here thinking, God, I will take anything. But God gave me a job that was so good because I had good mentors in that job. I prospered. His hand, His favour of hand came upon me. The MD even favoured me. That's pretty insane. Favoured a, a manager. I was like quite low down the ranks. Like favoured me. And not just that. Okay, so you can't count dollar for dollar, lah, right? You count. I counted. If I were to stay in Singapore and I save X amount of money, if I convert, can I save the X amount of money? I was, yes, I could. God provided. God provided for me. Like, wow. He made a way. He opened a door for me to return to Malaysia and back into provision. Back into providence. And not just that. I was working for an investment bank in Singapore at a point of time when I decided I will move back to Malaysia. And it was two weeks before the cutoff of the bonus. Investment bank, bonus. That two words put together, bam, in your head. Wow, right? Two weeks, but God said, resign. Go back right now. Don't wait. And I handed in my resignation letter. My boss was like, are you sure you want to resign? You just wait two more weeks and then the cutoff. Then I will support you. You will get your bonus. I told him, no, I can't. I can't wait. My God is telling me, I need to go back. I told him that. My God is telling me, I need to go back. He looked at me like, you're nuts lah. You're crazy. You're crazy lah. He said that, you're nuts, you know. Okay, so be it. And you know what? The company in Malaysia found out about what I did. Through the church leader, I told my church leader, because I, I seek counsel and he told the, the all went one round. They found out and they called me, Aaron, we heard what you did and what you're giving up to come to our company. Give me a day. Stopped. The very next day, I can't, I can't remember, it's the day or the very next day they call up again. Aaron, because of what you did, because of what you did, we want to honour you. Whatever the bank was going to pay you for your bonus in Singapore, we will match that. And we will give you the golden handshake as your signing on bonus. I'm like, what? What? You see, in Roof 1, they were in famine. Roof 1, verse 1, they were in famine. At the end, in verse 22, there was a harvest ready for them. See, there are different seasons. God is moving us from a place of famine, not just physically, spiritually, emotionally. He wants to move us from this place of famine into the place of harvest where there is fulfillment 
where there's providence, where there is love, there is joy. And I can tell you up to today, up to today, my fulfillment is up to here, up to, up to here with God. And in today, now I'm a pastor in this church. I am walking in my prophetic destiny. And I would have missed that if I did not hear God, I did not say yes to God. See in Revelations 3, 19 to 20, says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The King James Version, it says, I will sup with him. The Message Version, I will supper with him. Why supper? Why supper? Why so specific? Why? Because God is pointing to a specific supper. The supper of the Lamb. The wedding of the Lamb. That is when Jesus, the bridegroom came, comes back and the bride is united and there is a wedding. There is a wedding. There is a wedding coming, church. How are we going to prepare ourselves for the wedding? There is a wedding coming. In Naomi's case, there was also a wedding because Ruth was going to be married to Boaz. Nobody knew that. She did not know that. And then in Revelation 21, it says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with him on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my, with my father on his throne. I will grant to, to sit with me on my throne. Throne, what's a throne? Throne speaks of power, speaks of authority, speaks of royalty. Royalty. Now, Jesus is coming back, not just as bridegroom, but bridegroom king. We are called to be a holy nation, a priesthood, a royal priesthood. God was calling forth our destiny and we are called into royalty if we are to overcome and say yes to Him. In Naomi's case, there was also royalty because down the line, there was King David and further down the line, there was Jesus Christ. We're going to come to a time of response right now. We've heard the response. Now, it is our time to respond. With all eyes closed, all head bowed. Some of us might be hearing this for the very first time. Who is this God that disciplines, that gives judgment only to pull His people back to Him? Who is this God that covets for His people, that is so jealous for His people, that will cause things to come so that they can come back to Him? Who is this God that cares for His people, that loves His people? Who is this God? And just like Ruth, you want to know this God. And not just know this God, you want to commit yourself and covenant with this God. If this is you in this place, I'm going to count to three. If this is you in this place and you want to know this God, I want to invite you today to respond to God, to commit to Him, to covenant with Him.
It's as easy as ABC. A, you accept the message that's preached today. You accept the Word of God. That He came and He died for us. That He loves us. B, you believe in Jesus Christ. That He came, He died for our sins. He came to redeem us. C, you confess that He is Lord in your life. In the count of three, if there's you in this place, I want you to raise your hands. One, Jesus loves you and He's knocking at the door of your heart. Number two, when He knocks, He also calls. Whoever hears me, whoever hears me, come and open the door. If your heart is beating fast right now, that is God knocking on the heart of your door, the door of your heart. Three, if that is you, to raise your hands this day and respond to God in this place. Just wait a moment. If your heart is racing, that is God knocking on the door of your hearts. Just wait a moment right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If you want to respond later, can you can find any one of us pastors here, any one of us elders here in front. Thank you for the hand. Praise God. You can find any one of the elders and any one of the pastors, any one of the ministers in front and you tell us and we will introduce you to Jesus. Now, there is a second response. There is a second call that I would like to make. If you are going through trials and tribulation, if you are facing something, you're not sure, is it judgment of God? Is it God's discipline? It could be caused by your own self and you know sometimes it could be caused by your own disobedience or it could be the enemy. Regardless, God is, come, God is saying, return, return to me. And if you know it's your own disobedience, repent and return to me. You know, church, when a word like this preach, God always expects a response. So if you want to say, Christ is enough for me, He is everything that I need, and I won't turn back, I want to invite you to raise your hands right now. Heavenly Father, you see these hands that profess Christ is enough for us. Christ is enough for me. No matter what we go through, you will always be enough. You will always be our provider, our protector, our security. You are our everything. Lord, teach us, Lord, to live our life. Teach us, Lord, to make decisions like Naomi and like Ruth, to repent, to return, to commit, to covenant, to choose, to come back to you, to choose you and to choose to say, you are enough for us. You are enough for us. And that we will never, never turn our backs. We will never abandon the family. We will never be an apostate. We will never turn on you. So strengthen our hearts, strengthen our faith, strengthen our convictions that we will always rely on You, that You are our everything. So we thank You, Lord, for the Word. 
separate us now with your love and with your blessing be with us Lord as we part ways and as we go back teach us Lord to live our life our daily lives like Naomi and like Ruth so church may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom the peace of God in Jesus most mighty name all God's people say Amen. Praise God for His Word. If there is any prayer needs, I mean any needs, you can come to the front. There are still pastors and ministers here waiting to pray for you. If not, that's all. We will see you next week for Ruth chapter 2. See you everybody and God bless you.